All right. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 15. So I grab my digital Bible here. Romans chapter 15. We'll be reading in a moment from verses 1 through 7. Romans 15, 1 through 7. Mentioned last week as we looked at looking at ourselves, making sure we're seeing clearly, uh, not living by judgmentalism or hypocritical kindness, that after this we're going to start to transition into um, the practical steps for speaking the truth in love. And so that's why this morning, or this evening, we're going to be focusing on taking that step. What is it, what, how are we going to take that step as Christians to approach each other and speak the truth in love? We're in Romans chapter 15 tonight. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7, as I mentioned. The point from this point forward, really starting next week and moving on after that, is to be very practical about how do we speak the truth in love according to Christ. But to prepare ourselves for that, let's read Romans chapter 15, 1 through 7. It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the approaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As we look at taking that step to speaking the truth in love, what should be our mindset? What mindset should consume us in such a way that pushes us toward each other, seeking to bless each other and build each other up with, with the word of God? think from our passage, the first thing we are called to do is to step into your obligation. And we don't like the word obligation very much. It says there in verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. But we don't like to be forced into anything. We don't like to be compelled to against our own wishes. We live in the land of freedom, right, of self-reliance. We don't like obligations, but obligations are unavoidable. In fact, part of growing up and becoming an adult is embracing obligation, isn't it? That the excuse, I don't feel like it, is no longer a legitimate excuse. You may not feel like paying your taxes, but you have an obligation. You may not feel like going to work on Monday, but you have an obligation. You may not feel like taking care of five or six crazy kids all day long, but you have an obligation. Obligations are necessary because feelings aren't always there. And a mature individual recognizes the duties that they have been given and accepts them responsibly. In fact, it's the immature person who neglects those duties. A lazy husband who doesn't feel like leading his family. The lazy employee that doesn't feel like doing his job. And so as we ask ourselves as in our role as a member of a church... What is your obligation? What's your obligation as a Christian, as a church member? Are there obligations, non-negotiable expectations placed on you 
that must be filled. There are. And a mature Christian accepts obligations while an immature Christian neglects those obligations when they just don't feel like it. So we must ask the question, what is the obligation of a normal church member? It's not just church attendance. It's not just reading your Bible. It's not just serving in a ministry. In fact, Scripture seems to paint those more as assumptions than obligations. Of course Christians would be doing those things. But we take, talk about, when we talk about obligations of the church member, the answer from Scripture is clear. If we look in our passage, Romans 15, 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. So in this passage, we see an obligation provided specifically for strong or mature Christians. That it is the obligation of strong or mature Christians to bear with and help the weak. We see something similar in Galatians 6.1 regarding, regarding those who are caught in sin. Brothers, if anyone who is caught, is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's not an option. It's an obligation. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so again, we see an obligation for the spiritual person but also an obligation for everyone in the church. Bear one another's burdens. In fact, wherever you see a direct command in Scripture, you have an obligation. And these commands are all throughout Scripture for normal church members. Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Romans chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another, provoke one another to love and good works, not, incur- not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, Paul says, we urge you, brothers, talking to the church members, we urge you, implore you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with them all. You might say that all of these are actually iterations of speaking the truth in love. Sometimes it looks like encouragement. Sometimes it looks like exhortation. Sometimes it looks like comfort or admonishing or warning. But hopefully you notice one thing. These aren't just encouragements or exhortations for us to do. These are obligations. This is your calling as a Christian. If you are part of his church, you have a duty to fulfill. As we look back in our passage in Romans chapter 15, we see this obligation rephrased. Look in verse 2. Romans 15, 2 says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. This is what it means to bear with others. It means to please them for their good. And then that good is specified. What is their good? It's to build them up. Well, how do we build each other up? We build each other up with our words whether that's through exhortation, encouragement, admonishment, or comfort. We read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I'm convinced that we'll never fulfill our calling as Christians to speak the truth in love to each other if we do not first see it as a sacred obligation. That, it, that to fail to do so 
is to fall short of our calling as Christians. We should not view speaking the truth in love to each other as just a possibility that is available to us as Christians. That if we do it, great. If we don't, that's not a problem. Someone else will do it. That's just not how scripture paints it for the church. The scripture paints it for the church as an obligation, as something that we are called to do. And so the question is, well, is this being, is this being guilt-trippy? Am I being guilt-trippy right now? Well, I think there's a difference between trying to guilt someone into a responsibility and simply stating that responsibility. Would it be guilt-trippy for me to tell an employee, you need to do your job? No, that wouldn't be guilt-trippy, would it? Would it be so for me to tell, for you to tell me as a pastor, you need to preach the word? And I say, well, stop the guilt tripping. Come on, what do you, what do you expect of me? No, of course not, because those are our sacred obligations, and we need to be reminded of them. And they are stated clearly, right? Employees work, pastors preach, Christians speak the truth in love. In fact, it only comes across as a, as a guilt trip if we're not fully convinced that it is our obligation and responsibility. I hope you see from our passage and throughout scripture that it is. It's our job, and we need to do our job. If we are part of his church, part of his body, and as such are called to build up the body of Christ in love, then to not be doing that, Seeking, not seeking to speak the truth in love is actually to be out of order, to be out of line with our sacred obligation and opportunity. And so, first of all, if we're going to be doing this, we need to see it in this light. We need to see speaking the truth in love as a responsibility, an obligation. Really, we don't, we don't have an option in this. We don't just sit back and wait for someone else to do it. We need to be seeking opportunities for this. Number two in our passage, I think we see that we need to also step into Christ's love. You may ask, well, if it's my job, do I get a trainer? Well, as a matter of fact, you do. It's one thing to walk up to a new employee and say, all right, welcome to the team. Here you go, and just throw them in the deep end. Sometimes that can be an effective learning tool, but it's probably not the most ideal one. Most often, in most cases, when someone starts a new job, they're given a trainer, someone to show them the ropes, to show them how they should fulfill their obligations. Look with me in Romans chapter 15, verse 3. After laying out our obligation, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Verse 3 says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So we're obligated to please others for their good. That's our job. But then we're given a pattern, an example, for Christ did not please himself. And the example of Christ really offers both an encouragement for our obligation, as well as added weight to our obligation. Because in this context, he's telling the strong Christians to bear with and please the weaker Christians for their good. And if the objection arises, well, why is that my responsibility? Paul answers it right in verse 3. Well, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus did not please himself and neither are you to please yourself. If we're to fulfill our obligation as church members, we must rely on the example of Jesus. In fact, Scripture says we're obligated, there's that pesky word again, to follow his example. In John chapter 13, which is the passage where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, the job for the lowliest of servants, 
after he finishes that task, Jesus tells his disciples, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And that word ought in English is the same Greek word as obligation. Jesus says, I've washed your feet, and since I have, you are obligated to wash one another's feet. Since I have set the bar here, you are obligated to follow my example. But Christ's example not only adds weight, it also gives us a pattern and an encouragement to fulfill that obligation. Look down in verse 7 of our passage in Romans 15. It says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we have the benefit of being given an on-the-ground trainer who's actually shown us exactly what it looks like to speak the truth in love, to forgive, to welcome, to serve. Jesus showed us all of it, and he gives us a pattern. Read in Ephesians 4, 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We ask, well, how do I be kind? How do I be tender-hearted? How do I forgive? Well, how Christ forgave you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Here's the great thing about being a Christian and seeking to live for others and serve others. Through the example of Jesus Christ, we have a flesh and blood, real-life illustration of what it looks like in the flesh to serve and love and speak the truth to each other. Following the example of Christ points to not just our words, but our character, our example. So to step into Christ's love is to put on Christ, to embody his love as we approach others. If we are to speak the truth in love, we must know what love is. And we, in order to know what love is, we must look to Jesus. Paul Tripp says in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, that God changes, God changes people not simply because you have spoken the truth to them, but because those words were said with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. When we do this, we become the physical evidence of the truths we present. We are not only incarnating truth, but Christ himself. And that's why we read in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perf perfect harmony. That phrase, put on, in that passage carries the idea of putting on clothes. If we are going to take a step toward each other, we need to be wearing Christ's robes. We need to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It says there in Colossians chapter 3. So as you take the step of speaking the truth in love, which is a fulfillment of your sacred obligation, you should be asking yourself, am I approaching this person in the love of Christ? Am I seeking to exemplify his love, his compassion, his kindness, humility, his gentleness, and patience? And you may ask, well, what does that look like? Well, the Bible shows us. It shows us what it looked like for Jesus to live and to love and to serve. Just ask, 
How did Jesus welcome you? Well, that's how you are to welcome each other. If you're struggling to show patience towards someone that you need to be speaking the truth to, you may ask, well, how do I show patience? In the same way that Jesus showed patience toward you. Step into your obligation. Step into Christ's love. Look to his example. Put on Christ. And number three in our passage, step into God's word. After pointing to Christ's example, Paul points us to the power of the word in verse 4. After pointing to the example of Christ, he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we see in verses 4 through 6 is like a progression with one starting point, and each verse kind of goes to the next point. So let's actually look, work backwards. We're in, we're in verses 4 through 6. Let's start at the end, verse 6, and see if we can find what the starting point is. Verse 6 talks about the end goal. What is the end goal? That we might glorify God in unity. Do you see that in verse 6? That together you may with one voice glorify God. All right, so what produces that? Well, look at the second half of verse 5. To live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that you may glorify God. So the harmony among each other produces the unified glorification of God. So again, we're backing up. What produces that harmony? The beginning of verse 5 tells us, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. So what produces the harmony? Well, it produces, it comes from the endurance and encouragement that comes from God. Next question, where does the endurance and encouragement come from? Look in verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so you see this chain reaction. God gives us his scriptures so that we can have endurance and encouragement, so that we might have hope, so that through that endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we may live in harmony with one another so that we may glorify God in one unified voice. Did you get all that? All right. And the application of all of this is in verse 7. Therefore, because of all this, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Of God, And I believe here's what the, what the point of this passage, that it is the power of the scriptures that fuels our love for each other. That's the chain reaction that we see in those verses. It begins with the encouragement and endurance of the scriptures, which produces the hope, which produces the harmony, which produces the unity, which produces the glorifying. We must find our endurance in the scripture our encouragement in the scripture, our hope in the scripture. We must be filled with scripture. After all, how can we speak the truth if we are not filled with the truth? The obligation is to speak the truth in love. Well, how do we know what love is? We have the example of Christ. Well, how do we know what truth is? We have the word of God. And so we must be filled with Scripture. We must be clothed in Christ's example as we fulfill our obligation. 
If you're in Romans chapter 14, skip down to verse, or Romans chapter 15, skip down to verse 14. We had referenced this last week briefly. Verse 14, Paul tells the Roman church, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. In other words, we cannot instruct one another if we are not filled with knowledge. Now again, this verse is not saying that you must know everything, but rather you have a sufficient grasp of the truth necessary to instruct each other. Remember, there's multiple ways in which we can speak the truth in love. We can comfort, we can encourage, we can confront, we can exhort, we can instruct. So I don't expecting anyone here to have an extensive and comprehensive knowledge of Scripture. But you can speak the truth to the extent that you know the truth. What truth do you know? Maybe it's just a little bit. Are you willing to share that truth? Scripture was given for our instruction, our passage says, and as we are instructed by it, we are competent to instruct others with that same truth. And I think it's for this reason, that we have a steady diet of personal Bible reading. And this is something I don't want to assume as a pastor. Are you regularly reading the Bible? Do you have it as a discipline in your life to fill yourself with the truth of God's Word? Do you seek to fill your heart and mind regularly with His truth? If you're not doing this, start doing it. If you're not, not only will your own spiritual growth be stunted, but so will your ability to speak the truth in love to others because you don't have that much truth to speak. And when you don't have God's truth to speak, what will you most likely say? Your own opinion, your own perspective. So I'd encourage you, first things first, read your Bible regularly. And, and this is what I want to challenge you to do. As you read your Bible regularly, a steady diet, perhaps in small bits, while you're praying for God's word to impact your own heart, I would challenge you to pray for something else. Perhaps it's your morning devotion where you're getting up before work or before the day gets going and you're reading a chapter or a psalm. Not only pray that God would change your own heart through his truth, but pray that God would give you the opportunity to share what you read that morning with someone else. Perhaps even that same day. Make that one of your prayer requests. God, would you, would you give me an opportunity just to share this small truth with someone else today? And one benefit of that is it actually makes sure, it helps you make sure that you do get a small truth, right? Instead of just kind of reading through a chapter, glazing over it, not noticing anything you read, and going about your day. Make part of your mission. While the, the first and primary mission is for you to be transformed in the, in the spirit of your mind, Pray that God would give you the opportunity to share what you read. And this is, what, this is a great benefit of this, is when you have that mindset, what are you doing? As you're going throughout your day, you're chewing on that truth. You're thinking on that truth because you're, you're ready to share it. You're just waiting for that opportunity where you can, you can share that truth with somebody else. And as a result, you're meditating on truth throughout your day. It could be a spouse, a coworker, a friend over a text. It could be as simple as, hey, check out what God showed me in Scripture this morning. It really helped me. You don't even have to wait for someone to ask for help. 
Only God knows the impact that you could have. I mean, you could end up helping someone through a struggle that they've never even told you about. Have you ever experienced that, where you've shared a truth, maybe something that God has shown you in his word, and you share that with a friend, you only to find out later that that friend ex needed that exact truth in that moment, and your speaking the truth in love to them was the thing they needed to refocus and recenter their, heart, their perspective? If you're going to take that step, if you're going to speak the truth in love, you must step into God's word. And as you step into it, be ready to share it. One, one, one passage that I always love is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Turn over there briefly, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. A verse we have referenced, I believe, in this series already. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Do you know the part of the reason why God comforts you in your affliction is so that you will be equipped and able to comfort others. And you're able to comfort others with the same comfort that you've been comforted by God. And this applies to scriptural truth. Comfort, exhortation, confrontation, all of it comes from the word of God. And part of the reason for that is so that you can convey that, share that with someone else. Which the truths you read in scripture are not just for you, they're for your friend as well. And if you get it in your mindset, it's my obligation it's my job, it's my expectation that I take God's truth and I share that with someone else. It could be small. It could be one verse that you read. But if you have that mindset, you will build up the body of Christ. In fact, the truths that you communicate that have first impacted your own heart are the truths that will probably most likely impact someone else's heart. You can tell when a truth is conveyed from a place of personal conviction when it's something that God has impacted you with as you share that with other people. For the remainder of our series in normal church, our, our attempt is going to be diving into some how-tos. Speaking the truth in love, as I mentioned, takes on many forms. It depends on the nature of the problem or the struggle. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we talked about warn the unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Points to the fact that in the church you have so many different situations, so many different struggles, so many different approaches. Sometimes speaking the truth in love looks like comfort. It looks like encouragement. Sometimes speaking the truth in love looks like instruction. Sometimes speaking the truth in love looks like confrontation. So how do we do that? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at each form of help, each form of speaking the truth in love. How do we comfort others biblically? How do we confront others biblically? How do we instruct others biblically? And how do we encourage or exhort others biblically? But if we don't embrace the obligation, if we don't take on the example of Christ, and if we don't fill our hearts and minds with scriptures, then we'll see no reason to take that step. So that's the assignment for today. Before we get into how-tos, how do we speak the truth in love, Number one, do you see it as your job? Do you see it as your responsibility? Number two, 
Do you see the example of Christ? Do you look to him to embody the love, the compassion, the kindness and gentleness that should deliver your truth, the truth to someone else? Number one, are you stepping into scripture? Are you filling your heart and mind every day with God's truth and being ready and eager to share that truth with someone else? And as we make that our mindset, then we're in a position to approach each other and take that step and speak the truth in love. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for giving us the task as your followers, as members of your church, to build each other up. Lord, we thank you for our family here. We thank you for the incredible encouragement that they are. The opportunity that we have to grow together, to build each other up in you. And Lord, I pray that we would embrace that obligation, not with dread or, or, or some sense of begrudging duty, but that we would embrace it with joy and excitement that we have the opportunity to build each other up with the truth. Thank you for giving us your example. Thank you for giving us your word. You've given us everything we need to do this. And I pray that you would help us all, each one of us, to fulfill the everyday calling 